Welcome again. Uh, it's good to see a number of you. A couple of you I still haven't got around to, to meeting. My name's Steve Adams. I'm the pastor here at Eastgate and have been here for almost a year now. And, yeah, thoroughly enjoying it. We just started a series last week on the, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I'll give a brief summary just in case you weren't able to make it last week. Uh, and we're continuing that series today. That's going to be an 11-part series. And today our focus is in looking on cultivating fruit or uh, producing fruit. Uh, let's open up in prayer together as we uh, depend upon God uh, to do his work as we look to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace shown to us in Christ. We thank you that every single thing that we enjoy in this life we experience because of your grace. Even those who do not know you uh, partially in experience of your general grace that prevails for everyone in the air that we breathe and gravity and all those wonderful things which you are doing in sustaining this world. We thank you that you have given those who do belong to you the gift of your spirit as a guarantee and a seal of your salvation, but also that your spirit dwells within us to, to convict us of sins, to lead us in truth, and to enable us to live the life that you have called us to live. As we study from your word this morning, may your spirit uh, do its work within us to challenge us, to convict us, to, to hold on to truth, to uh, let go of things that are not true, uh, that we might walk in a manner pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, last week we began this new series. It was pretty much a general introduction to the, the fruit of the Spirit. So for those of you who were here last week and heard the exact same Bible reading as we had last week, no, I'm not so cheeky as to try and pull off using the same sermon two weeks in a row. But particularly one of the things that we focused on last week is when we see the greater context of the fruit of the Spirit in the passage in Galatians chapter 5, we see that it doesn't stand alone as a list of particular things. It comes in a context of a chapter that speaks repeatedly of a life that is living in dependence upon the Spirit and is being led by the Spirit. But at the same time, we see a contrast in Galatians chapter 5 between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we saw how they actually are opposed to one another in such a way that by walking according to our fleshly nature actually hinders our spiritual life. Or as we saw there in verse 16, if we walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One of the things we did notice that both of those lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, were not comprehensive lists. So don't think if you got to the end of that list and think, Phew, I haven't got any, any of those, I'm okay. Both of those lists end with phrases such as, and things such as these, or things like these. So just as much as you're not off the hook if you've got nothing in that first list of the flesh, nor are we called only to be obedient and to pursue the nine things listed in verses 22 to 23. Because again, it finishes with, and things such as these. But today our focus is how to cultivate fruit or how to produce this fruit. A year ago, or roughly a year ago, Sarah, my wife and I, we were packing up our house to move on up here. And we had so little when we got married. 
You could fit it probably on three, three or four youth loads maximum, the combined things that both of us owned. And then when we're five years of being married, when we're packing up to move up here, all of this stuff that we've accumulated, and we've got a number who are in the process of moving or have just moved, will notice that when you get in and you actually empty out all the cupboards, you happen to find things that you bought with best of intentions of one day doing something really special with them, and you never did. Now, a lot of these things we found actually were really good, wonderful things, but they're not really of any great value if we don't actually use them. Having an intent or just having them in our possession isn't anything particularly worthwhile. And the same could be said with regards to our spiritual life. We are told we have got everything that we need. But so often, we don't use the things provided for us. In fact, these things are promised to us in the word of God. In 2 Peter 1, three, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So every single thing we need to, in this life, every single thing we need to carry out the desires or the things which the word of God calls us to, to walk in godliness, we have been given already in Christ. Which is a helpful reminder before we look at the specifics of the fruit of the Spirit that what we are looking forward to are not our unrealistic ideals, but things that we have actually been provided for and equipped for. To give an overview of where we're headed this morning, we're going to look in three different areas. First, we're going to look at what is spiritual fruit? What is fruit of the Spirit? What are we talking about? Secondly, we're going to look at who is responsible for producing this fruit? Is it something that I do? I just buy heaps of extra effort? Or is it something that the Holy Spirit does on its own? And thirdly, we're going to look at having fertile soil for producing fruit. As in, what are some disciplines in our life that will either help or hinder this growth? But before we look at a specific definition of what I mean, one question is worth asking, why even preach a series on fruit of the Spirit? Some people might think, Steve, you're you're a gospel man. Why would you be on some peripheral, hairy, fairy fruit of the Spirit season and then spending 11 weeks on it? And my answer to that question is because the way Jesus taught is that the necessary evidence of the work of the gospel in someone's life is that they will bear fruit. So in that sense, it is no way peripheral to the gospel, but it is a necessary and essential outworking of the gospel. In Matthew 7 and 12, Jesus very specifically said, a tree will be known by its fruit. He said that will be the visible sign of those who belong to him. In the parable of the sower, spoken in Matthew, Mark and Luke, where you see the gospel going out represented by the seed and you see four different responses. And what distinguishes the genuinely saved response, the good soil, what distinguishes it from all of the others isn't some initial reaction, but is the fact that one produces fruit. In John 15, the famous chapter on the vine and the branches, Jesus says in verses 5 and 8 of that, of that chapter, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Then verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing fruit is part of the, the proof or the evidence that you actually are followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul followed on likewise in Romans 7, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 1, 
that bearing fruit is a necessary and normal outworking of salvation in the life of a believer. So from a biblical perspective, genuine Christians produce fruit. But it's often not very helpful advice to say, okay, you're a Christian, produce fruit. Particularly if someone's a brand new believer and they've just heard this, produce fruit. You know, fruit? Do I just like, nothing coming out? I don't know, it might smell a bit ripe under there sometimes. <laughs> but it raises two questions. What is fruit and how is it produced, which we're going to have a look at this morning. Starting with, what is spiritual fruit? Now, think about it this way. If I want apples in my backyard, an apple tree, regardless of how big it is, if it hasn't got apples on it, we wouldn't say it is fruitful, would we? We'd just say it's a tree. And that's the very reason why you planted a tree in the first place, an apple tree, is because you expected that you would get apples out of it. Unless some people just like the particular aesthetics of an apple tree. In the same way, when we are a new creation in Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, trusting in his death and resurrection, that he paid the price for our sin, when we are now transplanted or included in Christ, then we expect there to be a resulting change as a result of us being planted in Christ. Just as fruit bearing is the result of a tree that has been planted in good soil, that has been well fed and well nurtured and been kept from the things that are hindering to it, so also in our spiritual life comes from a connection to Jesus Christ, to being fed on the things which he's given us to our benefit and also a putting away of things that are a hindrance to that growth. But to give us a bit of a definition, which is kind of helpful if we're going to spend 11 weeks on it, to actually know what we're talking about, what do I mean by fruit of the spirit or spiritual fruit? definition I have here is the fruit of the spirit, the all spiritual fruit, is any transformation enabled by the spirit in the life of a spirit-led believer to bring about Christ-likeness in thoughts, attitudes and action. So fruit of the spirit, any transformation enabled by the spirit in the life of a spirit-led believer to bring about Christ-likeness in thoughts, attitudes and actions. So it's the spirit's work specifically in the life of a Christian and for the purpose of bringing about Christ-likeness. It brings about transformation in a number of ways. It brings about transformation that we might rightly relate to God, but also brings about transformation that we might rightly relate to others. Some have even referred to these things as spiritual graces in the sense that they are gifts or things that we have received by the grace of God but they are also things which impart grace in our ways in which we relate to one another. Last week we saw the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to add one more to the list. When you look at the works of the flesh, it is spoken of as a plural works, as in there are a list of lots of different works of the flesh, and we may have some or may have lots or may may have none. But where it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit... It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, but it says the fruit singular, as in the result in work of the Spirit is one thing is combined in all of these things. So it's not a case of which fruit do you have, but the fruit of the Spirit is the sum of all of these things. 
So in our coming weeks, we're not going to just speak about the nine things in verses 22 to 23. I don't believe that's intended to be a comprehensive list, as I said, when it says, and things such as these. But if it is one fruit, then it means all Christians are called to produce all of them because all of us have been given as one fruit by the Spirit. Which also means any area which we find ourselves lacking is not because we're lacking in provision from God. If we're lacking in any of these areas, it's because we have chosen to operate and take the more easy natural option to choose our fleshly desires rather than to walk by the Spirit. Because we were told back in verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does the Bible call fruit? Now initially we'll start looking at what we have there in verses 22 to 23 of Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not a comprehensive list. What we will be looking at later, even some outside of this list, things such as compassion, things such as humility and thankfulness, and even that's not going to be a comprehensive, these are the only things. But as we define things, sometimes it helps to actually also say what I don't mean. Because sometimes, while you might say this is what it does mean, people still may have some misunderstandings that need to be clarified as well. So what is not spiritual fruit? Sometimes people confuse the fruit of the Spirit with gifts of the Spirit. And they are not the same thing. They have some things in common. They both have in common the fact they are enabled by the work of the Holy Spirit. They are to be exercised in the life of the believers by the Spirit. But there are two clear things that separate them. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, primarily they are character traits or attitudes rather than the gifts of the Spirit, which are specifically Spirit-given abilities. And the second difference between the two is that because the fruit is one thing given to all believers, all the fruit of the Spirit is the expectation of the life of Christians, whereas the, clearly the opposite is said of the spiritual gifts, whereas in 1 Corinthians 12 it says, some have been given this gift, some have been given this gift, all have been apportioned as according to the Spirit as he wills in 1 Corinthians 12.11. So they differ. One is traits, one's abilities. One is everyone has the same fruit of the Spirit available to them and everyone has different spiritual gifts given to them. To show you that visually, I've put something by way of a bit of a list there on both with a little dot, dot, dot at the end because both of those lists are probably not extensive. But one thing it does need to be remembered that a Christian should not neglect to exercise either. Christians should never neglect to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, neither should they neglect to exercise the gifts given to them. That's a mistake we often see happen, that people are so keen to chase after a particular gift, yet if the character, if the the fruit of the Spirit isn't evident with it, then it comes to nothing. Like the greatest chapters spoken on spiritual gifts in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 12 through to 14, We've got three chapters there, right in the middle, chapter 13. Paul says, even if I do all these wonderful things, but have not love, it is nothing. They're not supposed to be pursued one or the other, yet they actually work together. A wonderful example of 
of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit together is seen in the list of gifts in Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now in that passage he makes two points there. Basically says, if your gift is this, use it. In other words, whatever gift God has given you, you are to use it. That's one point he makes. But note there the part there I have got underlined. It says, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You know, that, that character must go alongside with a gift. Imagine acts of mercy done with grumpiness. How spiritual would you say that? Have this, you stupid old fool. I'm just doing this because God told me I had to. Would you call that a spiritual gift? Hopefully not. So don't confuse the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, but do not just pursue only one or the other either. So having seen what spiritual fruit is, whose job is it to produce it? Who's ever seen the the saying, let go and let God? Now that could be helpful or it could be woefully heretical depending on how you understand that. Given that what we're talking about here is the fruit of the Spirit, even the title itself makes very clear it's the fruit which the Spirit produces. We don't produce it ourselves. We don't take credit for it. But that does not mean the Holy Spirit works on autopilot. Like I can just do whatever I like and fruit of the Spirit just comes flowing out of me. So if, the, if your concept of let go and let go, God means you do nothing, God's just going to do his thing through you, not a good understanding. If your concept of let go means that you are trusting God to do the things and you're actually pursuing those things, then that might be quite okay. Some have called the fruit of the Spirit garments of grace. This idea it's like a piece of clothing that you have full access to, but you must put it on. Make no mistake, the source of the fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce it. It's no surprise that when we look through Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, we see four phrases that keep reminding us of what it means to live a life dependent upon and led by the Spirit. You've got being walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's a little bit like a tram in Melbourne or to contextualise, look how great this contextualisation is, light rail in the gold case. They will only continue doing the things they're designed to do while they remain in connection with the, the power lines to which they are connected. In the same way, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit will only continue with thorough connection and dependence upon the Spirit. But while the fruit is produced by the Spirit, then there's the other hand. Throughout the Scriptures, we're commanded to to bear fruit. It's what Uncle Don Carson likes to call divine compatibilism, where two things seem to be opposed to one another, one where it says like it's 100% the Spirit's work, but then we're commanded to bear fruit. But the fact that the power to produce the fruit comes 100% from the Spirit does not diminish our responsibility to bear fruit. 
As the Dutch reformer George Bethune writes, he puts it in this way. While therefore we grow in the Christian life by divine grace, it is our duty to grow in grace. So God is the one who does the work, but we are held responsible to work with God to do that work. It's a little bit like being giving medication. You might have all you need to achieve a certain effect, but if you don't take it, it does nothing. I've tried it. You put it in your cupboards. It doesn't help you at all. Same with the Holy Spirit. who lives within us. We have all we need, but we must walk by the Spirit. If you want to see an illustration of how Paul used this two-sided coin of our effort and the work of God and the power of God to enable, we saw that when we looked through the book of Colossians. Where Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul speaks about his toiling, his struggling, but he also speaks about according to the power of God working within him. So if we've been given the responsibility, how can we ensure that we are not doing things to hinder that, but we are doing things that actually are helpful? Or as this final section I've titled, Fertile Soil for Producing Fruit. Firstly, a Christian needs to desire to produce fruit. A person who has no desire to live a life worthy of the calling of the gospel will not. To grow in Christ-likeness, you must grow in a love for God, to know him more intimately. That's the first necessary preparation of the soil, is a love for God. A.W. Tozer quotes in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says... The person who comes to a right view of God is relieved of a thousand temporal problems. As in, when you know rightly who God is and also who you are, when you rightly know what God desires and you love him so deeply that you want to do the things he desires, we will be relieved of a thousand temporal problems that we've misunderstood by not knowing him rightly or ourselves rightly. Knowing God and his character is essential to a life of godliness. You are never going to become more Christ-like if you don't know what Christ is like. As Christians, we should be driven with a deep love to want to know him more. And as we know him more, we learn more of his character. We learn more of the things that are pleasing to him. And out of our love for him drives a desire that wants to be obedient He wants to do things which are pleasing in his sight. It changes our minds and our hearts to think of the things that he thinks of. And how do we get to know God? Well, personally, Christ has come into this world. We just celebrated over the Christmas time. But primarily today, he speaks to us through his word, the scriptures, which were given to us that we might know him, that we might be equipped for this life in between now and when we can see him face to face. So it would be foolish to say that we're trying to know God better while we're not reading our Bible. To think that somehow we're going to grow in a closer relationship with God, yet we are avoiding the very thing he has given for us to come to know him. That would be about as stupid as me saying, I'm going to go closer in my relationship with my wife by moving to North Korea and leaving her behind. 
I'm not going to, just in case you're wondering. Albert Martin had three what he called essential ingredients for fruitfulness. He said, a correct view of the character of God, a pervasive sense of the presence of God, and a constant awareness of our obligation to God. Knowing God's character, what he likes, and therefore the things that he would desire to see in the life of his people. Aware of his presence, not only to convict us of sins, but aware that he's empowering to do these things is with us. But also awareness of our obligation, for he is the one who has bought us at a great price. If we were to think about the Christians that we look up to, whose spiritual life we would like to have a life like theirs, we'll find they are people who have a very close relationship with Jesus. So first is a deep love and a desire for God. The second, which we touched on last week, is this idea of a putting on and a putting off. We saw how the flesh and the spirit are so opposed to one another that works of the flesh will hinder and squash the work of the spirit and same the other way around. But as we're told in verse 16, if we walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So it would be equally foolish to presume that you're going to grow deeply spiritually while clinging on dearly to the things that belong to our old fleshly nature. There must be both a putting off and a putting on. To illustrate this, this is something that Toowoomba people would find very easy to recognise. Imagine a day, not hard in Toowoomba, that starts really, really cold and then it gets really, really hot. You might get up in the morning and you might put on your winter clothes because it's really, really cold then as the day goes on, it gets hot and you think, I need to put on my summer clothes. Now, if I just put my summer clothes over the top of my winter clothes, they're not going to help me anymore. Even if I went out and budgie smugglers over the top, just on my winter clothes, I don't know why they're not in notes and that shouldn't have been in the notes and for good reason. (laughs) My mind goes places, I'm tired. But the idea is that there must be a putting off and a putting on rather than just an emphasis of one or the other. Paul illustrates this in Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you may no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that's not how you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness." If you've come to Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Don't go holding on to the corpse that is your old life that is a hindrance to the new and more wonderful life which you have been given. A Christian should desire to to know God, to grow in a desire to please him. And the byproduct, the result of that, should be a putting off the old and putting on the new. So after two weeks, we're finally covered, I suppose, what you'd call an introduction to the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're looking at what is the fruit, who is responsible, and how do we have fertile soil for producing fruit. If I can just remind us back to that definition of what is fruit of the Spirit. 
Fruit of the Spirit is any transformation enabled by the Spirit in the life of a Spirit-led believer to bring about Christ-likeness in thoughts, attitudes and action. We're seeing this as a fruit 100% completely produced by the work of the Holy Spirit, but something for which we are also given responsibility to pursue. Now I need to clarify, what do I mean by pursue? If we are just pursuing the fruit itself, that should not be our primary pursuit. Think again what Jesus had to say in John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says, bearing fruit doesn't come from pursuing fruit. Bearing fruit comes from a pursuit to press in deeply to Jesus Christ. Or if I was to go back to the analogy of the apple tree in the backyard... If you want apples in your backyard, you don't get that by pursuing. Your primary pursuit is not apples. And so somehow I want apples in my backyard and I just somehow mystically apples just appear everywhere all over the backyard. If you want apples, your primary pursuit is you go out, you buy an apple tree, you plant it in your yard, you water it, you look after it and you protect it from things that aren't good for it. The fruit or the apples is just the byproduct of the primary pursuit. In the same way, when we're pursuing the fruit of the Spirit, it's not our primary pursuit. It is the desire, it's the result or the byproduct of someone who who loves God, who's desiring after Him, who's pressing into Him, who's trusting Him and being led by His Spirit. Through seeking after Him, loving Him, want to know Him and His character, want to walk in obedience, putting away hindrances. And through connection to him, the byproduct is the fruit of the Spirit. There is no genuine pursuit of God or anything that he sets before the lives of believers that is outside of our reach. We're reminded in Second Peter, we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. My prayer for us as a church, as we go through this series on the fruit of the Spirit, is that we might be like the tree in Psalm chapter 1. For the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. It takes that picture of one, like a tree planted by water, so is one who is so close in their relationship with God that their abounding in fruit abounds beyond measure. It's my prayer that that might happen for us individually as individuals in a church, not because we have pursued the fruit itself, but because we have earnestly sought a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ in this year. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, When we think about the things that you have called us to as Christians, sometimes they seem out of our reach, seem like something that we could never attain. But we thank you for the wonderful promises that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
We thank you that your very presence by the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that we lack nothing to carry out the things to which you command us toward. But at the same time, help us never to become proud and think that somehow in our effort that we will produce these things. Help us to live lives that are led by, dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit to work through us. And for us to be a people who are willing to be led and who are desiring and seeking to be led by the Spirit. Lord, we we pray as you challenge us throughout this series that we would trust that you really have given us everything we need. That where we see deficiencies in our life that we don't live up to the things that you've called us to, that we would recognise that it has been our choice to go and live according to our, our fleshly desires in those areas. Help us to trust you and help us to trust the enabling of the Spirit to live the way you've called us to live. And out of a deep desire to know you and to honour you in the way in which we live, we pray that we might live lives worthy of the high calling of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.